0: Hello, and welcome to the latest edition of the Use These Better podcast, powered by Hobbs. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the next episode of our Use These Better podcast. Um, so, yeah, following on from our speakers that we have had on, I'm delighted to be joined today by David Gray, who's a bid director over at Mighty. Um, um so yeah so firstly i'll go morning david how you well
1: morning dave thanks for having me very well thanks good to speak to you good good so um
0: obviously we've been talking for a while trying to get um a convenient date on to do this um and I know you recently spoke at the APMP conference, so this is a little bit of a follow-on from that, a little bit of picking the the, the meat on the bones out of that. Um, But I think firstly, for the people that sort of don't know who you are, if there are anybody out there that does know who you are, um, do you want to give us a quick intro into what you're doing and the why, effectively?
1: Of course, yeah. So um, yeah, I'm David Gray, I'm um, bid director at my team. I work within the complex bidding team at Mighty, which sits within the, the Bid Centre of Excellence. Um, it's a newly formed um, Centre of Excellence Mighty have introduced to oversee all of their, their bidding and proposal activity um, across the organisation. Um, prior to that, and, and that's a, a fairly recent post that I took, took on in September of this year, uh, prior to that I was six years um, as a director and latter the managing director of ANBIT, one of the UK's leading bidding and tender specialists. And um, before then I worked in bid teams with EDF Energy and prior to that in the, in the housing sector. Uh, I'm also an international board director of APMP. So they committed to the, the, the professionalization of the industry and working with them um, with APMP. Uh, and also working with um with bid professionals to um yeah, I suppose just uh, maintain the professionalisation of our, of our, in- our industry, and um, of what we do and make sure it's recognised as the, the profession that it is. Um and overall I've been in the bid sector, sort of bid environment in, in various working roles for about 16 years now, and probably still um, a fair bit of experience under the belt now as well with bids and proposals um, across the UK, Europe and further afield.
0: Cool. So I think it's fair to say then that um, A, you're qualified to talk about this topic. <laughs> and B, you've got the experience in the um, T the shirt to, to back up on it. Um, so obviously, we've had a, a, a call last week about, and we sort of sat again, what, what do we want to talk about? Um, so, I mean, I, I sort of put out then high performance teams, ones building teams and wanting to celebrate contributions but our results. And the other one is keeping the people-first culture, which I think in these this day and age are all really valid and important topics. Um, and actually, I think these are, you know, gone of the day. I mean, we keep touching on this, and most of the, the calls we do, that, you know, the world's changed. The the bidding industry has gone through, I want to say, revolution rather than evolution over the last sort of 20, 30 years. Because um, it is a new industry. Let's, let's not be around the bones on this. Mm. Um, and I think we're all learning so when we when we were talking the other day we were talking about the psychological safety in teams and a little bit of this was me going what actually are you want on about
1: um,
0: <laughs> so just give me a brief yeah. overview what what do you mean by that yeah so this um i, I suppose
1: the, the study of high performance teams was a bit of a lockdown hobby for me. So um, first of all, I don't profess to be an expert in this. There, there are many experts out there in the world. I'm, I'm just a student of it. And at the APNP conference, I was kind of sharing my learnings uh, and applying them or uh, sharing how I'd applied those learnings um, in the bidding profession to bid teams I'd been involved in uh, and I'd led. Um, so psychological safety is really fascinating for the concept that I came across. Some people will, will have heard of it, others perhaps not, but this is around having the, the, the confidence um, to perform at your, your optimal level, knowing that if you take moderate risks or if you try to be innovative and you try to um, you know, perhaps show initiative and you were to make a mistake, that it wouldn't be sort of disproportionately punished. Mm-hmm. And it's it's a strange thing to say in the world of bidding that we encourage, or we're encouraging people to make mistakes. And so, you have to be clear that we're not encouraging people to make mistakes, but we're giving them the kind of comfort and the, the safety net almost that if they make a mistake um, through you know, trying to do their best and, and do the best job on the bed or with the customer um, in the process, if they own up to that mistake, it gives us a chance to address it. It gives us a chance to remedy it. Um, most likely it gives us a chance to make it better and make it go away perhaps before the bid goes in and the customer is even aware that a mistake is in the process um, but the point is the person in the team and the team members should feel that they have the comfort to own up to these mistakes um, if they are in a culture where their organization their, their, their manager their leader or their organization punishes them for making mistakes and they've seen people um, you know receive you know dressing downs or telling offs or, or worse you know exiting the business potentially because they made a mistake then they're far less likely to own up to mistakes so then they'll perhaps try and cover them up which can make the situation a lot worse um, potentially or they just won't take the the moderate risks that they need and they need to take to do their jobs um, and perform their role at an optimal level and so you end up with um, managers needing to, to micromanage and kind of handhold people through every possible risk in the process because the person is completely unprepared to take the risk for fear of that um, that retribution almost if they, if they make a mistake. So that's where the, the concept of, of psychological safety comes from. It's giving someone the safety, the psychological safety, that if they make a mistake and they own up to it, it'll be fine. Everybody will address it. They'll learn from it to will address it as a team uh, and move on from it and that they won't be kind of harshly punished for um, for an error that, um, that's come about because they've tried to do the best thing and it's, it's just perhaps not worked out how they thought it would. That's
0: fair. I mean, I, I, yeah, I mean, I totally agree with the concept. I mean, I, you know, it's something that we, you know, we're actively encouraging at the moment. Um, I mean, my, my, one of my big mantras is there's no such thing as a stupid question yeah. um, simply because it, it means that, Either they don't get it or I haven't explained it properly. So it's it's probably more of a failure on my part than it is on um, somebody who's trying to do something. Um, I just want to touch on a couple of points you you sort of said there. So, I mean, Mm -hmm. obviously, it's, you know, we're trying to move away from this blame culture. We're trying to move away from you cocked up. It's all your fault. That's it. You know, you you have to go home tonight and think about it, and reflect on it, and then spend the next five days panicking about whether we're going to have a job or not. At the end of the day, um, and I completely, I completely buy into that. It's, it, it's 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 a good position to be. Just being devil's advocate on it slightly mm-hmm. more for a bit because it will be wrong of me just to sit and go, yes, David, you're talking everything right, 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 right. Um, <laughs> I suppose I have to challenge you at some point. Um, sure. How did you? I mean. Obviously, you know, we, what we're saying is basically it's okay to make a mistake. It's okay to get something wrong. But where do you draw the line? Because obviously you can't have somebody in a team that's continually getting something wrong. And I, I suppose that's the, the one thing everybody would look at is go, yes, completely agree with this. Yes, it's the right way to do things. But do you create a problem where people don't always accept ownership to a point? And then actually... You now, whilst they're not feared to make a mistake is there any retribution if you know that they continue to keep making the same mistake
1: yeah that's a fair question i i think um i mean absolutely it's not designed to avoid ownership that you know that that was part of the um uh, the session I talked about at the APMP conference recently in the UK was was around the, the needs in high performance teams for for individuals to have to take ownership, accountability, and responsibility. These were the kind of above the line behaviours. This comes from some some action coach learnings actually, and the below the line behaviours that we avoid are blame, excuses, and denial. And mm. that's kind of the, the the simplified matrix, if you like, of um, cultural behaviours or values um but yeah i mean clearly that's that's a fair challenge and that we we don't want to encourage people to make the same mistakes over and over again the key is that you have a culture where you can share mistakes um but but critically learn from them and and part of the sharing as well is to make sure that you you share the learnings of that with your teammates and then if they find themselves in a similar situation they don't fall into the same trap perhaps as you did so you're you're sharing the mistake not just to foster this culture of psychological safety but for a very pragmatic reason that if you say i find myself in this position i did this because i thought it would you know help the bid or help the client or it would, you know make the process smoother it actually didn't work out and we had this challenge with this issue as a result of it so i wouldn't do that again or if I, if I did it again i would do it this way then if that person's teammate finds himself uh, you know faced with that same circumstance or situation a few weeks months even years later they, they might remember this and think oh actually i'm just going to do this but i remember my colleague did that and it didn't go quite how they wanted it to so i'll, I'll take the learning there and i'll do it mm. differently um but yeah i mean it's not a, a sort of get out of jail free card for people <laughs> who continually make mistakes i think i think one of the um sort of one of the, the key components of any high performance team is that people um shouldn't make certainly not make the same mistakes again and again you know if you make a mistake you learn from it and then you you don't make that mistake again that's that's fine it's part of the learning really i think if people continue to make the same mistakes or if they're making too many mistakes um then perhaps you need to have a, a discussion with them and reframe a bit of performance management and say look you're you're maybe trying to be a bit too innovative and a bit too dynamic and you need to kind of rein that in and, and work a little bit you know still showing innovation showing um uh, you know a bit of dynamism but within perhaps tighter parameters um, so that, that, that you are making fewer mistakes and again you will learn from working with people um, where how, how broad or wide or narrow those parameters um, should be and sometimes it's it's just down to experience um, you know inevitably people with, with less experience um, will tend to make more, more mistakes or they, they will work within narrower parameters to avoid making more critical mistakes so I think it comes back to though just uh, managing people as people and not as mm. numbers, and actually just understanding that, that people come from different backgrounds, different experiences, they have different perspectives mm. in the world. It's about understanding you know, how they work and, and how they should be kind of treated, managed, led, inspired, yeah. etc
0: yeah cool, cool. i mean I know, I know we're going through some um really good training at the moment where we we're, we're, you know it's about where we're positioning you know the front the middle or the behind i think it is um whether you lead yeah. leader whether you're, you're a driver and that's it so um i know I, I completely buy into all this i think it's i think it's actually re- a really good way of looking at stuff um so i mean you know there, there'll be people out here going you know that's really good where the hell do i start how do I bring this in? Because obviously, no, you're not talking about just a process. You're no. talking about changing the dynamic, changing a culture of a team. Yeah. And now we all know that you know, the hardest thing to change in business is a, is a company or a team's culture because that's, you no, know, it doesn't just happen. It's ingrained over, you know, five, 10, 15, 20 years or however long your, your team's going. And there's people that have been there that long. So, and we all know that change is bad as the um, the great phrase goes <laughs> um so how do we how do we start i suppose that is the easy answer yeah. i mean how, how do you start this journey i mean because obviously it can't start with the staff it has to start with the management i presume yeah. um so yes it's all you know what's the first thing you do yeah so the well
1: the first thing i did in in, in... This is something I've done um, in a couple of teams now, is is look at building trust first and foremost. And, you know, I don't want to get too um, into the, the, the sort of academics of all this, mm. but part of the, the learnings and study I, I did um, was based around a book um, written by Patrick uh, Lencioni, the, the Five Dysfunctions of a Team, which um, people, I'm sure some, several people will have heard of. Um, this was a book he wrote 20 years ago in 2002, and it, it, it called out these five key dysfunctions that stop teams becoming high performance. And, and the, the, the bottom one was an absence of trust. Um, and, and this kind of links to psychological safety as well, because if you, if you can't trust your team members or you don't have trust in the team, um if if team members can't trust that they can um that their leader or manager won't punish them if they make a mistake or they own up to something then you have that absence of psychological Mm. safety but in a a pragmatic sense um i you know i tried to build trust with the the teams um i worked in that was the kind of bottom um sort of level of of the 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 high performance team pyramid if you like was to, to to create a culture where members of the team trust one another where they they kind of understand who's doing what, they can rely on each other, but they they also get to know each other um, a little bit better. And there's a couple of exercises I used there um, in practical sense. One of them was um, just, we used to have uh, um, regular team meetings and I used to start them all um, by saying, can everybody share an example of um, effectively a mistake they've made? But it wasn't always worded that way. It was just sometimes worded. Everybody share an example of where they've done something in the last month. Um, with the best of intentions, it's not quite gone how they expected. Um, what happened? What did you learn from it? And, and how would you do it differently next time? Um, and usually I always started and I would say, right, so I'll give you an example of something I did and I would share something. And that kind of sets the tone if you're, if you're mm-hmm. leading that team for everybody, because it's like, well, if, if, the, if the manager or the leader of the team is doing it, or in my case at that time, the managing director of the company is doing it, he's, he's only up to mistake sharing what went wrong quite you know what you do differently then it it creates a kind of safe area where they think well okay i can now share as well um so i think having that as part of the team meeting was really useful and we used to do that in um, most of the team meetings so it was a way of sharing learnings but it was also a way of just building that environment where it became clear that we weren't calling out mistakes and then going oh you idiot i can't believe you've done that (laughs) it was more a case of all right Okay, no, thank you for sharing. And there was no judgment. That was the, you know, the, the the value from the start. We said, share, share what's happened. There's no judgment. We're not here to, to point fingers and and um, you know assign blame. This is actually more about getting learnings as a team, where we can all learn from each other and what works and what perhaps doesn't work so well. But also forge that culture where it is okay to share these things and open up. And then over time, team members begin to feel that psychological safety, and they begin to trust each other more. And the process
0: becomes, I think, more optimised and, and higher performance. as mm. a, so. so I, I suppose it, it sort of just picking on something you said then when you you, you sort of, you know, you said, look, even I make mistakes. Mm. Even I get something wrong. Um, I think that that factor, you know, going back 15, 20 years when we all started out in industry, it was like, you know, your bodies were perfect. They didn't make yeah. mistakes. If they did make a mistake, it was you didn't understand it. Um, yeah. and I think there's been this. I'm not sure evolution's happened because of a new generation that's come in. That are, and I, and the truth, I think there is, a, there is a lot around this sort of generation Z, I think, is coming now yeah. that are sat there going, Tell me, tell me, tell me, tell me what I need to do. And when you get wrong, it's well you told me to do this. So I, mean, I, I think it's it's that sort of little thing where we've been forced to have ownership to a point. Um, I'm not sure. Um, but I think this it, is showing vulnerability. Yeah. Um, in everything we do these days, I think it's really important because um, I mean you know, you know we always talk to our clients. Who, you know seller, you know we're not we're not going to get everything right. We're going to get something wrong, but it's actually how you recover from that. Um, yeah. and actually how you recover from that with minimal cost impacts and rest of it and this sort of stuff. So I think actually having that honesty um, is good and I think you're right. I mean, I think it's it is a, a huge cultural piece, um, you know, and in, in cultures like a, an oil tanker trying to turn, you know, it doesn't happen very quickly. Um, so, yeah, I think it's this, I think you need sort of trust. I mean, the, the one thing I'll take away from what you just said is the fact that, you know, you, you've got to have that trust. You got to have patience, and I think patience is in this day and age is something that is a little bit lacking. I think you know it's. I think the society we live in now is very much I want it now. Um, yeah. You know, give it to me now. I'm not waiting. I want, I want this now. If, if it can't happen now, I don't want it. Um, and I think that's when we're talking about changing culture. I think you have to have that period of um, sort of almost. That, that you know having that patience to see the game through effectively i think is a, yeah. a good analogy of it so um cool and i suppose this is sort of a nice segue into um when we talk about teams now how do we build teams with this level of trust with this level of culture how do we um you know why is it important that we don't just celebrate the person that's done the biggest effort into this and you know you know you and i get this foul fact that you know a, a bid is a combination of no 30 people all with small parts trying to work to a common good um but you're right we 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 probably have been guilty in the past where we pull out one or two people and go you were amazing on this yeah um and i can see how that would almost sort of drive resentment a little bit would i be fair with that
1: yeah I, th- I think so and and i think the other thing we can we can often fall into the trap of in our profession is just celebrating results and, and often the result is whether the bid winner won or lost but we know there's so many reasons why a really strong high quality bid might not win it, it yeah. might be that our competitors come in with a ridiculously low price that, that we would not be comfortable um delivering the work for it might be that the, the buyer has just decided to stay with the incumbent, they, they're not up for the risk of change. And, and these are things we can't often control. You can you can try and influence um, them and be persuasive and compelling through the bid, but ultimately if a buyer just feels like, no, I'm happy with what we've got, I'm not wanting to take a risk, even though this new proposal sounds amazing, it's it's not the time for whatever reason, they don't want to change. So you, you could end up, having a situation where that becomes deemed a failure and actually all the inputs and all the contributions um, have been high quality and there's been a real high performance to the, to the team, to the proposal uh, and actually the output's been really good. But because the result's not been great, it's it's not celebrated. And I think that's that can be quite demotivating for people if they work particularly on, on huge bids or lengthy bids mm-hmm. or bids where people put an awful lot of time and effort and, and contribution into. Um, we can't always control the result. That We know that. Um, you know, the, the best bid the teams in the world don't win every bid. Nobody does. So it's um, it just in my view, I think if we, we get sucked into just measuring success um, based on output and, and, and on, on the, the bid results, then it can become quite transactional. And, um, and that, I think, is not a particularly healthy environment for people to mm. grow and for people to develop. Um, it, it leads, I think, to, to them feeling a bit demotivated because people will put an enormous effort into things. Uh, I think it's valid to recognise that effort at the point it's made as well, so not even waiting to see whether the bid's to success or not, but just saying, actually, you know, you've put an, an enormous shift in, or you've done some fantastic work, that's a really phenomenal piece of writing, or you've managed this really ridiculously complex process so well, um, you know credit to you calling it out giving them that recognition um at the time rather than just sort of waiting to see whether it is ultimately a success
0: yeah i i, th- I think you know I mean, I mean i mean we've been guilty of it everybody's been guilty of it with yeah. the fact that you, you know you get the bid in you go out oh, well done well done well done guys and then um you you wait to get the result and then it's either hip hip rah, we've all done all this it's all great it's all good let's go for a beer let's go and celebrate yeah. or you don't win it and you're going well did you get that right, and then you start almost an inquest into <laughs> why you are lost. Um, and then you, you know, you start unearthing things that you, you, you know you're going back then to your psychological safety where you start unearthing mm. things that you know somebody may have got something wrong, and actually, instead of it being a okay, let's learn from this, it's a why the hell did you do that? Um, so I, you know, I, I get this, and I, and I know, and I, I'm. You know when we when we we're submitting work it's always i i try and i hope we got try my, my team will back me up on this and the fact that i will sit there and go right you know well done guys it's been submitted thanks for your hard work this is really good this was really a well written submission you know let's you know fingers crossed we win it you know that's out of our hands now but mm-hmm. let's um let's celebrate the fact that we we got it in on time and then, then let's start looking about actually well let's start taking it apart let's start looking at what we Know where we think it's good, where we think we can improve, um but more importantly, I think that then you know even like you said, then it's about celebrating the the small contributions. Hmm. It's going back to client now, whether you win or whether you lose. I don't think there should be any differential about it. But why? What did they like about it? What didn't? What didn't they like? And I think we're all guilty of going back to bids, especially. I know I'm probably going off a little bit of a tangent. that we, you know, when we don't win a bid, we go to client and go, why? What didn't you like yeah. about us? Why didn't you pick us? That was that was so out of order. How dare you not choose to that, <laughs> that sort of thing? Yeah. But how many people actually go back to the client when they've won and go, why? And yeah. I know my guys. I'm driving our sales and managers mad at the moment in the company because I keep going to them, going, why? Why do we behave in what we do? Why are we making decisions that we do? know because if we actually understand why we actually act that way then we can get change and we can actually start questioning why we actually behave well what we do and I think it always sort of links together yeah subliminally I suppose is that the right word i do not sure yeah. um in the fact that you know why are we doing you know why are we bothering to bother about psychological safety why are we bothering to talk about celebrating the wins
1: hmm.
0: yeah I think that's the bit you need to understand
1: yeah I, and, and I should be clear, you know, I, when I talk about this building trust and not being fixated on results and not um, measuring success solely on results, I have to be really clear that that's not to suggest that I don't care about results. That's where the, the, this pyramid, I'm making the pyramid shape with my hands, mm. here, which is a terrible <laughs> thing to do in a podcast. <laughs> that, that's where this pyramid <laughs> model, um, it, it brings you to team results, but the point is that if you constantly drive and try to motivate and lead bid teams by just saying it's a must win, this is really important, strategic value bid, we must bid this, we must win this, you'll get so far on that but eventually people will become tired of that and they don't like being motivated constantly by the the, the stick and, and you must do this, you must do this and this is a must win. It's very transactional, very results orientated. That a lot of these learnings and high performance and the, the impact of psychological safety, they come from some of the, the most high-performing teams in, in business and other sectors and sports in the world. Um, so this isn't just me saying, Oh, this this stuff you should do. These are learnings I've had rather than theories I'm coming up with. Um, but yeah, this is about getting to a place where, as a result of all these behaviors of trust of building trust of building psychological safety of creating a, a culture where people feel they can challenge and they can kind of constructively um creatively conflict with other members of their team without fear of recrimination or somebody more senior saying why mm. are you challenging me you're just this or you're just that you know I'm above you um we, we build this kind of Team commitment, and from that you get accountability. As we talked about before, you get responsibility, and it's all culminating in sustainable high performance, which leads to results. So it is all really about results. It's just that you don't sort of fixate yourself just on the result. You 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 take the time, and this is where the point you made is is very well made about patience. You take the time to patiently build and you know almost cultivate that high performance team that will deliver consistently high performance results but you don't do it by just saying we must win this bid every yeah. single time because if every bids it must win then no bids it must win um and and that's the danger if, if you keep saying everything's a must win, that that phrase just dilutes its value and, and people don't like it anyway so <laughs> it's it's really about building yeah. building on some of the learnings of, of, of sports teams and um, particularly teams like the all blacks in, in rugby um, Clive Woodward has has um, contributed quite a lot to the high performance um, debate from his work as England coach when they won the World Cup, a lot about culture, values, teamship and, and how they built um, such a high performance team that was able to get I mean, consistently good results.
0: Yeah I mean I, I do remember a talk at the, the conference actually surprisingly a few years back where St. Clive Woodward was on stage and he was talking about you know this the, the teacup I think it was, the, I can't remember exactly what the energy was to it, but um, I remember that being quite quite powerful, so um, I mean, and again, you're making mine off that's a really good segue into our final point which is um, you know, this people first culture and I think it is something that everybody is striving to um, but you do hear I mean, I, I, you know, I've seen posts about people you know, there was um you know, there's a post already. The there day David, somebody said that. You know, look at their company said about people first, and as soon as actually something happened, went actually so you. Bye, you've been redundant. Yeah. Um, Alex Jones, it was. Um, and actually, if you read his post, it's a really inspirational, um, talk about how he um got through his his cancer. Um. So hi, Alex. Hope you're well. Um, keep going, mate. Um, but yeah. So I think this is. You know, this is really good. Actually, about you know. You know putting the people first how do we define that how do we actually do that um how do we inspire oh. people to to be our next generation leaders um because i think this is all that you know, we we've heard this sort of um argument and i i jokingly said it a few weeks back in with the podcast where i said like i know i'm the wrong demographic for doing some things um and commenting on some some things oh. but i think it's the the old demographic effectively i think they've a duty to try and drive this change through for the next two three generations that are coming through um so they aren't going through the pain that we're all going through at the moment i think that's a is that the right thing to say i'm not sure if i've explained that properly um but yeah so what what, i mean obviously we know we, we talk about people first you know what is people first i know it sounds silly
1: yeah i think for me is i mean you you touched on earlier dave when you talked about the bid process and recognizing contributions how many different people are involved in a bid, um, a bid process and and i i, I direct bids now in, in the complex bid team at mighty and we have large complex very complex bids, um with so many different moving parts and so many different people involved in the process from you know quality well even upstream you know from uh from capture through qualification into bids and proposal and then ultimately um, mobilization and delivery. So there's so many people involved in that, but they're not, I suppose the point is, they're not cogs in a the wheel, they're, they're human beings. And, um, you know, in the teams I've led, I've, I've tried to, to, to build a culture where they're recognized as human beings. And I, again, it's, it's maybe a, a shift in, in leadership ethos over the last, you know, however many, 20, 30 years or so but i think it's what i found is that leading in a people first way you'll get better results you will more easily build trust and you will more easily build high performance teams if you recognize people as individuals and uh, you know there's this phrase about people they bring them their whole selves to work so you know mm. if, if somebody's got something going on outside of work which is you know hugely impacting their their health their well being their mental health their their confidence their focus whatever it is it's going to impact them in work. They can't just check their their personality and their mindset at the door and and come in. Uh, And in a lot of places now, people are obviously working in a hybrid way. Um, What I would say about people first is it's hard work. It's not the easiest way to lead and manage. You need to practise this. You need to actually apply time and think, I need to make the time to speak to each of my people, find out what's going on. Uh, I say my people, I mean, in the team um, that I lead find out what's going on in their world what's going on in their in their life without being nosy and prying yeah. just kind of getting you know having a chat with them trying to identify if there's anything going on which might be impacting their performance trying to understand what they want out of their their role their career what development do they need um and I think you know it's building these relationships and understanding before it's too late and and some of it is again this isn't just to be nice and people will be thinking oh david sounds like a counselor here. That's not the intent. The intent is to, again, keep your best performers um, on your team. And if you find out someone has something going on in the world which has impacted their work and they've just decided to leave or move to a different role, um, they might then articulate to you what it was and why they left, but it's too late. Mm, yeah. like if you can get upstream of that and build really positive relationships and somebody might say, do you know what, I, I, I don't feel like I'm getting this the stretch I need in this role. Um. Then you can think about that and think, right, okay, this person might become a flight risk if we don't look at their role and, and how we can develop them. And, and is there a promotion opportunity that we could set them on a, a bit of a glide path to? Um, could they do some shadowing? Could they do some um, mentor uh, mentor work with somebody um, a level of above, above, for example, to get that experience and feel that they're progressing in their role? Um, but you would only know that if you took the time to have these conversations and, and have meaningful conversations as well, and mm. don't just kind of go through a checklist on a on a one to one form and try and get it done quickly and fine It's it's about having meaningful in depth conversations. But again, it's it's designed to keep good people. We we are currently in a really hot market. Um, it's an
0: and, interesting one. That's for sure.
1: <laughs> Everybody's <laughs> trying to get good good people, great people. Um, there's a lot of them out there, but there's an, an awful lot of opportunity for them as well. So I think if you're not maintaining a people-first environment and culture in your organisation and in your teams, people will just leave and go somewhere where they can get that because they, if they're not going to feel it from you, they'll they'll get it somewhere else. Um, and again, if you, if you don't know until they have gone, it's too late.
0: Yeah, I think this this comes back to something I said earlier, jokingly, um, about me driving our to mad. It's the fact that I keep questioning this why. And I think it comes back to that with people as well, where, you know, why do people behave like they do? I mean, you no, know, I remember the days where, you know, you know we, we, we were told, you know, you know, check all your problems in at the door, come into work right at you, get on with it. And I think back in those days we did, um, whether it was actually beneficial to our mental health or anything, I doubt very much, but we did it. Um, it was challenging. And occasionally you couldn't um and i think that once we understand what drives people why people behave that what they do it suddenly becomes that little bit easier and actually i think that the, yeah. you're, you're right with the hybrid work and i think the you know the, the lines where we used to have definite like you know you got in a car you got the train you went home and you had that commute or that journey and for a lot of people that doesn't exist anymore because they've got this um you know when they finish work they turn the computer off and walk out the door that they're in into the the house so you don't have that decompression time I think it's good and I mean it's part of the reason why I like working in the office because I get that decompression time coming into the office going home and I can think and I can plan and I can get my head right for that particular space Um, so yeah so I think I think it's once we understand people and I think you know again you said with the, the job market it's so buoyant out there at the moment. Um, I don't think it will last forever. I think it's 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 a definitely a, a limited time on this. Um, and fair play to anybody who's making it work for them. Um, but I, yeah. I do think it's um, I, you know you know the bid industry as a whole is growing every 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 year. There's more people coming into it. You know we we've seen a lot more younger people coming into industry. Um so I think there was a period over about you know five, six years ago where nobody knew was coming into it. And I think we've had this bit of influx because mm-hmm. you know, partly because of what the great work the APMP is doing with the universities and the in the colleges and the apprentice schemes, um, partly because people realise actually there are some really talented people in you know coming out of university that can write, surprisingly. Um and giving those an opportunity to do something is good. And I mean and I think that's one thing that we're especially keen on is you know, giving good people opportunity to develop cool. themselves and actually giving them a purpose and giving them a path that they can walk along. And hopefully that will fight off any of the barriers of, um, you know, actually, you know they, can, they can jump after 18 months or something and get paid a load of money in, in five years' time. So they're going, why did I do that? Because I'm just stagnating myself. Um, So good. So, yeah, just to um, couple of points to tie off with. One is that um, I have actually had a question from the mailbag um which I, I'm being really cruel because I haven't sent it to you, so I'm just gonna put you on the spot with it because <laughs> yeah. I'm really cruel like that. Um, but it is around um who if you were looking at any company or any team or anything like in the world, who would you pinpoint as a really good example of this working well and why? And that's from Mike, who's one of our BDMs over at um Fandum where I'm sat.
1: Yeah, I mean that's a, that's a good question. Um, I think there's 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 organisations out there who I'm aware of have done some you know phenomenal work around you know um, more some some sort of more research based around psychological mm-hmm. safety. For example, I know Google did um, a massive survey on that and uh, found out that or, or had some reports about that, that building a, a culture with psychological safety, and it was one of the highest ranked. Um, uh kind of component parts of what made a high performance team but if i'm honest this sounds a bit of a politician's answer i would rather than pulling out an individual or an organization i think i would pull out behaviors that that you can look for and so like some some of them are like um this is an example i gave at the conference so sometimes you'll be watching a football match and somebody will attempt a pass and it'll be quite a potentially insightful pass it could have led to a goal maybe they don't quite get it right and it goes out of play, but the person that they were trying to pass to will turn around and, and applaud them, will we'll, we'll give them a clap to acknowledge the, 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 the idea, the insight, the contribution, even though it's not worked out. So it's like a little behavioral thing. I get that, where, where yeah. Saying, well done, good effort, I see what you've tried to do there, it didn't work, but almost don't be discouraged from doing it again because I recognize that was a good pass. Equally, you'll sometimes see Um, in in sport and particularly in football um, a a player turn around and have like a proper tantrum if a pass hasn't been played into them the way they wanted it and that is the opposite behavior that's Mm. that's putting blame on somebody but it's also it's reducing the likelihood of them trying and being brave again to make that same pass so that's one example of it I, i think it's it's where contribution um, is, is recognized and, and, and applauded, but, but in a very public way that encourages it, not just from the person who did it, but it encourages it from everybody. It's yeah. kind of showing outwardly, this is our culture. We have a culture where high performance is recognized. It might not work all the time, but you know credit to you for trying that pass or that move. Um, on another day, if I was happier, quicker, or if that defender hadn't read it quite so quick, that would have resulted in a goal. So yeah. you, you had the right idea. So it's, it's little things like that. And companies make these um, these moves as well. You see more so than ever in, in social media and in the way people act and behave, there's so much scrutiny. And there's a lot of good stuff goes on out there, but it's it's values like that. And perhaps even when leaders are not taking credit for things themselves, but they are openly passing that credit down and saying this was a team, uh this is a team performance, you see people getting awards, immediately dedicating it to their team, I think that's a real high performance value as mm-hmm. well, where you're saying, well, okay, I'm the figurehead um, because I, I beat the team, but you know, you, you can't be a good leader if you don't have a team that, that follows you. So again, having seen these organizations, these people and individuals who will um yeah, I suppose evidence and demonstrate these behaviors, that's the kind of things I would look out for. And you, you see a lot of it.
0: Good, good. Love it. Absolutely love it. Um, Cool. Right. Well, Dave, it's been absolutely wonderful talking to you, as always. Um, Really insightful um so hopefully yeah and if anybody wants to come on this podcast in the future and feeling brave enough that i press gang david to do it um give me a shout touch us you know all our social feeds are all well over the linkedin so um yeah get in touch and we'll more than love to have people to talk to um cool well on that note thanks for coming on dave it's been an absolute pleasure and um oh, thank you good luck with all your endeavors
1: thanks a lot thanks very much cheers, cheers
0: guys Bye bye